Hello and welcome to Party Line Chat. My name is Michael Finney. I've got two folks joining us to talk about audio production and the industry in general. Do you guys want to introduce yourself? Anybody can go first. It doesn't, doesn't matter who goes. Josh, go ahead. I'll let you take the reins. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, hello. Uh, my name is Josh. Um, I am live in Denton, Texas. I have a little home studio here where I record bands and a lot of my personal projects. Uh, it goes by the name of Dovetails Audio. Um, yeah, that's the quick overview. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm Adam, uh, at Adam Sussman um, on Twitter. Uh, audio guy, 20-plus uh, years. I like talking mics, and I like talking rooms, and I like talking about music. I'm always interested to hear new music. Uh, that's it. All right, so how did you guys get into audio production in general? I feel like it's probably similar to myself and a lot of other folks uh, that that find themselves on the knobs and the faders. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was very organic. I just started recording music uh as like an 18 year old, you know, coming out of high school, I got a tiny little handheld eight track recorder to record my garage band. Um, and there was no computers involved then it was just a little standalone machine. Uh, and then I've just kept upgrading over the years and till here we are. <laughs> yeah. I kind of started the same way. It was more in uh kind of parents basement, got a eight track task cam, and I was always playing drums, yeah. Uh, so I was just on the drum set. Um, but I had the drums for a long time before I got into, like, thought about even the recording stuff. And I almost, like, stumbled into it through, funny enough, I don't think I've ever even told the story or thought about it until now, but it was, like, the first time I got a credit card. I think I was, like, 16 or 17. I guess, you know, whenever you can, the youngest, get an actual card, whatever, 18. And, uh... First thing I bought was that Tascam, and I didn't even know why I bought a D112 AKG kick. I bought a 57 microphone. I bought AKG C1000 overheads, and I just like, I don't know why. I was all at 18. (laughs) Yeah. Going hard. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just, I don't understand. I I really, to be, I really, because I was just a drummer, um, and then, like, I stumbled into uh, Electric Lady Studios uh, for, like, a year, not even. And then I went to Berkeley College of Music for three years, two and a half years. And then uh, just been just making music or thinking about music or thinking about music uh, most of my life. Yeah, it's funny you say you started with drums because that was the same for me. Um, and it almost makes me feel like the drummer doing the heavy lifting, even at shows, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the, the joke is that the drummers, the ones always carrying all the most gear and everything. And yeah. I feel like drummers tend to be on the more technical side of things anyways. And I wonder what the percentage of drummers that get into recording, um, because of that, because I, I know that was my, my situation at least. That's why I was always upset because I was always limited. I felt like being in the recording studio and like, I know it was awesome to set the drums up and mic them up and go play something. And then like, I had no chops for the keys or the guitar, or the bass for like a long time. And so like, I had all this stuff because I was interning at Electric Lady. I had all this stuff 
and I had no idea what I was doing. And it was so, and that was kind of where my jumping off point to go to Berkeley. Cause I, I remember like, you know, interning, I have a lot of great stories about electric lady and all this kind of stuff. But the idea was that like, I still didn't really understand what I was doing, even though I was watching these guys. I was, I was, I think I like matured late in life. Like I couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, and so for me, it was like, I remember being in studio C in electric lady, um, which is like the, the top floor studio. And it was originally, it was Jimmy's kind of like bedroom area. It wasn't really a bedroom, but it was like kind of like, it wasn't a recording studio. It was something else. Like the living space. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple famous like pictures of like, sort of like this, like him sitting with a couple other artists in this room. And it was like, I'll see anyway, um, is where Nora Jones did, uh, uh, come away with me and the second record, I think, or at least the second record with a reef Martin who I met. I met a reef Martin. I'm still going to tell us, I'm going to think about that for the rest of my life. He produced like uh John Prine and um, he's just like the everybody, but he produced John Prine who like is like the greatest country music uh, artist of all time. Um, and so I met. Did we lose you? I'm shaking. Was, I apologize for the buzzing. Oh no, we didn't um, get a buzz. You just dropped out for a second. Oh, sorry. Um, so I remember shaking his hand, just like, "Oh my god!" Like, thank you for producing John Prine's first record, and he like lit up because I said that, and so I was like, I felt really good about it. <laughs> I always felt really good about that. He like his eyes lit up when I said John Prine to him. Um, so, uh, but I didn't. Okay, so the story is really quick. Sorry, is that I was in Studio C and I was trying to play. Because in Studio A and Studio B, it's a, it was an SSL, and they put a new digital SSL in the upstairs room. I didn't, and it, they, it wasn't working right. I didn't know that at the time. Um, and I was trying to get Mahler's Second Symphony on because I was trying to play it for an intern, another intern. And I was trying to play them like this part in the strings, and I was like, "This is the greatest sounding <laughs> music ever!" Right? <laughs> um, and it was, uh, and I couldn't get it to play, dude. Right, I was like in this multi-million-dollar studio, and I couldn't get to see. And and later on, I found that the actual the install was bad. Um, so like, wasn't me. But in the but moment, it defeated me. Like that, yeah. Yeah, it defeated me, and I was like, I got to go to school for this. So I don't know what I'm doing. And maybe so, it's a good thing you sat down at a busted at um, station. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah right. something. So Something. real quick, real quick here, uh, Brian has joined us. Do you want to say hello? Sorry, I'm late. No, it's okay. Uh, you know, no one is is late. Uh, you're here now, and, and this is the only time that we have. You know, um, do you want to talk? That's very zen. That's very zen of you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm in a very zen mode. Um, Michael's very zen. He's very yeah, cool. He is. So let's introduce you brian it's been a long time since we talked and i'm happy to have you back welcome back to party line chat if i could hit uh, an applause button and, and hit that sound effect i would for you buddy have you been having party lines without me or something no i haven't i wouldn't do that i would 100 percent invite you you know that <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> no i wouldn't do that man what are you guys talking about we are talking about audio, audio production. They kind of introduced themselves and how sure. they got into it and what they've been doing a little bit. Uh, you are welcome to do the same. I know that you used to play in a band, which is kind of some of the stuff that we talked about. We talked about uh, having a background in Tascam cassette recorders. Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. You know, and which I assume you probably have a background in as well. Yeah, totally. 
Um, so I had a, I had a band in high school. Um, we were actually pretty good, um, believe it or not. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's, there's a no video. There's still... no recordings. We were great. Oh, I, I'll send you. I'll send you a recording. Um, <laughs> Teasing. I've seen it. You know, punk punk rock band. Uh, did a did a uh, you know we did a bunch of like home recordings. You know where we had a parent uh, who let us use their basement uh, for ungodly lengths of time. Right. You know? Um, our first recording setup was like, like mics into a PA mixing board into a boom box. Nice. Love that. You know, like, um, and, uh, what's funny is that the guy who like rigged that up for us, we were like, you know, this is like 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. That guy ended up like, he like rigged us up a recording thing. And then like, next thing we know, he's playing bass. Like he grabbed the bass and like started learning how to play bass and stuff. Um, we got, we got like, okay at home recording, you know, task cam, obviously, um, you know, uh, figured out how to soundproof drums and things like that in a concrete basement, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, then we went to like a real recording studio, um, to do an album when we were like seniors in high school. And, uh, I remember despising the process, like, having to do multiple takes for guitars. I like, I like legitimately was like, I don't want to do this. Like I want to play it live with everybody. And that's the take you take. They're like, no, we don't do it like that anymore. Yeah. And th- these guys, this was like a punk rock record label. Like it's still in existence. It's called creep records. They're somewhat popular in the Northeast and in the punk rock scene, which I have no idea what's going on in anymore. But, um, yeah, these guys were like, no, you're going to, you're going to redo your guitar tracks like twice. Well, you had to pan them out. You had to pan them. I mean, just like it, it was like un, it was like really weird to me that like we couldn't just play the song live, mic everything, and then just call it a day. Like, um, which ended up uh, ended up. Well, it ended up like my mindset then went into where I actually just like don't really like the process of recording. Um, my next musical even project, to this day. <laughs> kind of sort of um uh my my next project was just me and two guys doing we, what we would do then is we would just mic the room and play just like turn on hit record and just start playing and it was like full improv um and then like the drummer would take these three hour long you know improv recordings when the two tapes or whatever and he would like cut this cut the parts up and just give it to us to listen to. So there's like tons of like, you know, there's tons of like little like CDs. I have it just like us doing improv and stuff. Um, yeah. Like, and today, like I'm in the process now of, uh, like I have, uh, you know, a, 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 no, what is it called? No, you kind of have no, a decent it? setup right now. I, mean, uh, I need to get a Mac. I need to get a new Mac mini, but other than that, yeah, I have like the, uh, machine pad. I got, um, the native instruments keyboard it's great um i don't have good monitor speakers i need a mac mini um and i need a new guitar but other than that like, I, i'm going to record again but like i'm a weirdo like i i play for me i record for me i don't <clears throat> i don't care about releasing things um it's like uh it's like my communion with like the whatever whatever the higher power is you know that's like how i look at it um, yeah, playing. And playing yeah. is like playing is like yeah. me reaching my hand um, into like, uh, for lack of a better way to explain it, like God's river. You know, um, I just pull out a little nice. bit. 
And uh, that um, that mentality comes from. There's a pianist named Keith Jarrett who's very famous. Sure, sure. He's famous for walking out on stage and doing a 45 minute improv set, and then he leaves and he comes back. He yells at you if you have a cell phone out, <laughs> um, and he whines. He whines like a like a like a like an like an animal when he plays. If you've ever heard it, it's next level weird. Um, <laughs> but we, and he explains it later in life. This is the guy that made Miles Davis do improv. Like, um, so when he explains it later in life, he's like talking about his like arthritis and stuff. Cause when he plays, you look at his hands, like his hands look like, like he's crippled. Right. Um, and he talks about how, like when he's doing improv, he feels like he's connecting with, you know, he says, God, I think he's a Christian, but, you know, that, that upper level, that like upper area and um, he says it like hurts his like the the res- the trade off he gets is this arthritis, and um, he can't control his like wines and stuff because like he's like lost he's like lost in the moment. So like when I record something now, um, it's it's like I have uh, a four or five note pattern on guitar that I I like, and then I I like improv some drums and bass on a computer. And then I play along with it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to be making guitar tracks to a lot of rap, and hip-hop, bass, and drum tracks, I think, is where I'm going to be going for the next year or so. Um, what's, pu- yeah. what's pushing you in that direction? Um, so what's weird, like, a long time ago, uh, like four or five years ago, I just kind of realized, like, I don't really... I have a good rhythm. Like, I just don't really, I don't really have it. And I don't like my guitar style was very, you know, it's, it, it comes from like a punk rock slash rock and roll background, which is not very vocal. Um, so I started a long time ago playing guitar to, uh, like, rap instrumentals mm-hmm. you know what i mean like you can get the instrumental album for so a good example would be like yeah the good example would be like the guy who did asap rocky's first couple albums he's got he's got instrumentals of those um so i would play guitar and it would force me to slow down a lot it would really force me to like think play less space notes differently actually when, I, like, I, when I, I think you know hip-hop for sure because there's there it's like you have such a, a bass and drums focused thing and like these melodies and harmonies kind of pop in and it's like you have to find space there and not overshadow like the vocal you know which can be eaten up because it's not necessarily always melodic yeah i think when you start out in any art form your 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 instinct is to destroy <laughs> and um the older you get I'm actually stealing this from Pinchon. He said this about art. Um, you, the young writer, the young artist, the young musician wants to like break everything. And that's why like punk rock is a young person's thing. It's, it's, um, it's why like new music is new music from young people is often jarring, you know? Um, but the older you get, you realize that, uh, you know, less is more, you know? Um, and timing is everything, uh, in like life and art, I guess. Um, so yeah, I started playing with with a lot of rap stuff and then, um, (laughs) uh, I just kind of found this, this one band that, that has merged 
like high technical craft with pop chord structures and who are you talking rap. about i'm talking about polyphia yeah I, thought maybe you were. I mean i saw i stopped playing guitar for a while like and then i discovered polyphia and i was like now i want to play guitar again wow well it does a double-edged sword just like i'll never play that but i want to play again well, that's, there's know. the there's there's the rare artist that does the thing that is like I'll never reach that pinnacle but I want to try to get there you know like and I think those kind of artists are like well because Steve I never made me feel that way right but Polyphia makes me feel like I'll never get there but I want to like I want to like walk that path a little bit I want to segue um, with something here because you brought go. up pension and uh, yeah. Uh, quickly, I'm in. Of the course, home, I did. I'm in the home stretch, bud. <laughs> I got I like 60 pages left in this thing. I'm yeah. wrapping it up. You're in the you're in the epilogue, right? Uh, not quite. I'm like right there. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, on against the day for context for the other folks hanging out here, and also, uh, the thing about Pension is how musical he is. I think not only as sure. an individual, his interests. Uh, he went to the movie theaters and saw musicals. Right. But like, that's why that's like literally why maybe. Yeah. But I mean, that seems fair. But then the other side of it is like, he has studied deeply into the intricacies of music and stuff like that. He, he yes. very well might be uh, a musician disguised as a writer. You know, he plays the kazoo there. It's good enough, you know? So let's spin it back in. Let's get these guys in here and let's talk. Yeah, sorry for sorry for ranting. No, it's okay because they did the same thing when they had their chance to. So it's good. We want to we want to revolve things, but let's make it conversational. Let's spin them in and let's talk where are we headed. You're working on some music. These guys are producing, uh, probably playing as well. Myself, I've got some musical things that are on my mind. Um, you know, and I don't want to necessarily give them up or allude to them, but like, I, you know, I, I do think about music. It is on my mind. So where are we headed? Where are you guys headed? Brian, you were working on a record, uh, but Josh, Adam, what do you got going on? Um, I actually have an ambient album that I am trying to find a home for, uh, that I just finished earlier this year. Um, but yeah, most of my productions are, um, my own in my bands, to be honest. Um, and the, the setup I've been now doesn't have a full studio area for like a band to set up. So it's mostly just my, uh, I'm in Denton, Texas. Okay, cool. So North of Dallas, basically. South, South of Philly. South of Philly. Cool. Oh no, you said you're south of Philly, not he's south of Philly. You're west of Philly, huh? Who, me? West Philadelphia, born and raised. Adam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, New York, uh, Edgewater currently, uh, New Jersey, which is like, I see the George Washington Bridge from my window. Um, so. Uh, what am I doing? I, a lot of work with a close buddy of mine since college. Uh, he's been doing a lot of, I don't know, sort of Tom Waits style, but more country and more original. I don't know. It's good stuff. Um, but he's interesting. It's sort of a transition because he really started getting into engineering. And I mean, really, and I really kind of have been helping him for the last 20 years now. It's getting old on this <laughs> stuff. And he is, <laughs> He has really blossomed into this phenomenal engineer. 
Um, so it's, I think it helps that he's such an absolutely excellent musician. Um, but, uh, you know, he's doing a lot, you know, he started doing the mid side stuff. He started doing all the traditional, Hey, let's learn engineering one oh one like microphone techniques. And he kept sending me all these tracks back, you know, for the last year and a half or so. And he's sending me tracks now where he's like, he's like, all right, so I'm going to send this to you, you know, to, to, to kind of balance and mix. And I'm like, yeah, no dude, like maybe, maybe we think about mastering, but just get it's print. It's done. Like you don't need to do anything. It's because it's, the thinking about a, being a balance engineer, like not a mix engineer, but just like you're just balancing and you're not even doing that from the faders. You're doing that from the microphone. And it's what like, what does that mean to you, you? Can you elaborate on what <laughs> the difference between a balancing engineer and a, uh, mixing engineer is? Yeah. Your perspective? Yeah. Sure. And it, specifically with this artist as well, cause he's blossomed in such a, this fantastic way. Um, it's almost like I'm re uh, not that I'm relearning it, but in a way, I'm, that's all I'm doing now. So when he's sending me tracks as a balance engineer, all I'm doing is just kind of thinking about what needs to come to the front and the back uh, during the song, um, and, but in very in very subtle ways, right? And as a mix engineer, I'd say he's sending me a track from three years ago or four or five years ago. And it's like, no, no, I'm going to throw a EQ, and I'm going to cut the lows, and then I'm going to send that, I'm going to have an aux send to that, to a little reverb, to a little plate. It's like, no, no, no. That's not, so that's a mix engineer, right? So what I'm doing with him is just like, I'm just pushing things up and pushing things back in a really kind of uh, way where, what, it, what frustrates me in like bad engineering or current stuff that I hear on the radio, it's like, it just sounds so flat. Um, there's just nothing. So, and it's not even, it, it is, of course it's compression, but it's, it's almost like all these engineers have now like mastered this multiband compression technique. And so like everything sounds like this templated, um, uh, compression, but in between the bands, right? Cause imagine you take all these engineers and you put all these plugins out there, all these Zombie music, they all sound yeah, not, like they're being produced by the same people. Right, because it's all in this, like, okay, so where's the crossovers on that multiband compressor? And they're all the same spot in every single of those, all, in every single one of those plugins. And that's all people use um, to make it sound kind of like pro ish. And so you get this weird crossover in every song where it's like, why does it sound like the same thing in this kind of like distinct frequency? Like, what the fuck is going on? And it's just like, oh, because all the crossovers are like in this certain frequency. And it's mind blowing and it's horrible. And I can't listen to most modern music now. <laughs> and that's, I would say a trend that's been going on since the nineties when pro tools started to kind of emerge. Loudness world. Take over. Yeah. Loudness wars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's been sound different, right? Like when you would listen to bands or studios or producers, like they had, you know, their sound, you went to Phil Spector for his sound or you went to, uh, you know, or you, or, or you go further, you go further back before the ideas that will pre-automation, you got the whole, the band members on the faders cutting so, the tape. Right. Like Steve Albani had a sound. Bill yes. Spector had a sound. Yes. It does. Here's a question. Does Rick Rubin have a sound? Uh, no. Interesting. No. Rick Rubin doesn't have a sound, but he has, has no a, sound. He has an aesthetic 
in terms of I'm sorry. he has an aesthetic in terms of song structure. Mm. In my opinion. Can you expand on that? So, yeah, so you gotta unpack that for me. Yeah, so like Think of, you know, a popular pop song and like Rick Rubin's skill, in my opinion, as somebody who has listened to a great amount of music produced by Rick Rubin by, you know, arguably great bands and artists as well. But his touch is a little different on stuff. I believe that he is um, instrumental in arranging and kind of determining like this is a chorus. That's a bridge. Um, and they should kind of flow this way to, to nail the energy builds for things. And that's what I perceive as the Rick Rubin aesthetic in production personally. I mean, it's an opinion. I I don't, I would have to hear, I think like for that to work for me, you'd have to play me. Cause the thing about Rick Rubin is like, I think he might've produced, he produced the nineties, man. He he would produce this Taylor Swift song, you know what I mean? Like, it, <laughs> yeah. there's there's no limit to what he'll do. So you'd have to kind of like show me that across to like super like give me a Trent Reznor and give me like a, like a you know a lady song mm-hmm. and because uh, that's mean, what I call like A B A B C B B format. You know, like everybody gotcha. knows that, but he's gotcha. I think he's probably in there making sure that that you know these great artists aren't indulging themselves. You don't think nowadays he kind of has like four people that kind of just like do what Adam says yeah. is being done. And he just kind of goes in and he's 100%. like, Hey, I'm Rick Rubin. Hey, yeah. I'm Rick Rubin. Nice to meet you. And then like goes out. Like, yeah, for sure. But then when he listens right. to that and then he's sitting there listening to it and he's like, this isn't it. Then you have to be like, well, Rick Rubin has golden ears. No. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to see, it'd be interesting to see him really speak to the artists in real time, like 100%. there was a hidden camera. Yeah, yeah because I bet you he was has, doing that twenty five, thirty years ago. But like now, has anybody seen Dave? Has Has anybody seen the Metallica? Yes, uh, year and a half in the life of Metallica. Yeah, where you literally get to watch Bob Rock. Yeah, talk to, and it's some of the most fascinating shit i've ever seen like like Bob Rock like, was a, a particular scenario though too because he was like kind of jamming with them as well mm-hmm. late on when uh jason newstead was leaving oh that's way after this though jason newstead left Okay. Wait, wait, sorry, what year oh, is this documentary? Okay, so, this is the blackout. This is the oh, making of yeah, the blackout. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. <clears throat> but so what I would add to that is go and watch some kind of monster as the coda to what you're talking about now and how their relationship okay. developed over like 10, 15 years. Uh, okay. I didn't know he even did that. I, I, I only know. I thought he played bass on some yeah. anger. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, there are producers that can do that though. Well, he did. Like, no, I just mean like, you know, like, for example, like, uh, Trent Lesnar or Kanye West will definitely like shove you out of the way <laughs> and like do something and be like that, that, that's what you want. And like go back, you know, and I think there's like footage in that in some instances too. That's interesting. So that story I was telling before about Studio C with Nora Jones, so that there's a kind of a story there because Arif Martin and her kind of struggled working together. Um, 
and I wasn't in the sessions a lot, but I was like the second assistant on the session. So I had a lot of like, um, just like, you know, coffee runs and all the normal stuff, but like, it was very much like it felt strenuous the whole time. Um, and it, I, I don't know, I can't get a sense of like, I'm wondering what the sentence or, or paragraph, um, you know, during that week or month where everything kind of got tense, like what was that? What did he say to her that triggered this, you know, um, vibe where, and the album is, wasn't that, I mean, the album sounds great, the second album, but it wasn't like the first album. Um, so I don't know, like, what do you think was said to make an artist clam up that much and make it so difficult? The, 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 is it just the sensitivity of an artist? Is it, or yeah, is it just super sensitive people? I, I mean, female, gonna... female singers, I, I got to be honest, female singers have been really very, it's really got to be very, very, very delicate. Right. Very delicate. I think, and the... I'm pretty good with I'm pretty good at it, but. <laughs> I feel like you're either, like, if you're like a super um, <clears throat> popular uh, pop artist, you know, like music artist, I feel like you're either like really, really sensitive or like a monster. So here's my thinking on it too, is that in that scenario, when you have an artist, you know, really hit it with their first record and they are perhaps very tied to the producer, then it creates this scenario where it's like, well, who really made this success? Could you do this without me? Um, oh, that happens in rap like all the time. <laughs> and you have like, you have the other element of that, which I think is like on any artist's mind, like the sophomore slump, you know? So you, uh, you might not remember, but uh, there was a party line where Bryce Weiner was on, <clears throat> and he was like talking about Taylor Swift. And I like made a comment like, "God, oh, cares about Taylor Swift or something." He's like, "Oh, everyone cares about Taylor Swift," and like he like went well, on Taylor Swift. And uh, <clears throat> after doing some research, <clears throat> her career is uh, more interesting than like. I first, yeah, I realized it first. In yeah, she's had a pretty like, dynamic career. Yeah, and like, uh, I mean, I don't know who her first producers were, but I guess she like, it's like her and someone else, and that's it. Like, I have to look, but I don't know if she goes to anybody like a Rick Rubin. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she does it. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, they're not sure. I mean, yeah, they're hyper overproduced. I think every album she's had. So certainly somebody's been doing stuff. Uh, actually, I don't. I don't know the, the original producers of her. Yeah, she had a she had a contractual issue with her original producer label or whatever over her mask. But that was the owner. That was the owner. Like that guy, like bought her stuff. Okay, that's what happened. And like, she, uh, do you, I mean, maybe you don't know the story, but then she. I don't know all the like, details for sure. I don't. So yeah, some some dude bought that's Sco- Scooter Braun. All her stuff, and then in response, yeah. she re-recorded all her stuff. That part yeah. I, I was aware of that she like, which is really cool because it had something to do with like his ownership of the masters and licensing for those masters. So she's like, "Well, the songs are mine, so I can just recut them and put them out again." Yep. Which is cool. That's good. Good for her. I think <laughs> you know. It's certainly it's certainly indicative of the strange world we live in. She has to even do that. Like, how does she not own the rights to her own stuff? At least from a, I don't know. Isn't there some? It should be pretty easy. Like, here's a, each percentage that everybody gets, and just like there it is in a token, and <laughs> like, so everybody stop fighting. I think that she just like didn't want that person to have 
to be able to dictate to her. So she was like, I'm going to just go recut this stuff. And then you have, you're done, you know, like, yeah, you can license that other stuff, but like nobody that is going to want to work with Taylor Swift legitimately is going to go license the other stuff from this other guy, (laughs) you know, when you could go and work with the actual artist. I think that's, um, you know, an integrity. Integrity, I guess, but it's a money thing. If an advertising advertising agency wants to buy a song or buy a Taylor oh, Swift yeah, song, sure. you know. So, bottom line, yeah, I, very interesting. I don't, I don't know much about that publishing side, so, right? <clears throat> so, yeah. one of her producers is uh, Jack Antonoff. I don't know who that is. Yeah, he's the new hip guy because he's doing all the new modern, like Lana Del Rey and all that stuff. Ah, uh, okay. What's the and name of Lana Del Rey? Well, oh god a bunch of these artists and i don't really know their names but they're he's he's got he's camped out electric lady uh, that's why i know him uh or know of him um but I've never uh, yeah. a lot of lana but i mean the artists that are new like lana no because lana has been out for a long time she's not new you know no for certainly not um but he's that that genre where like you're doing this weird throwback like 50s 60s vibe pop yeah the, yeah, the nostalgia. Like, everybody's got a new flavor of the nostalgia, and he's doing it in a way that's, I don't know, he's got that quirky, short, white guy, glasses, uh, I don't know. Just, like, it, it's uh, it, there's something about it. It feels like the, you know, the uh, who were the early producers for the, um, uh, not the kinks, but... Um, Do we need uh, new instruments to get new music? Ha. Huh. That's pretty interesting. Well, this, this this sort of, whoa, this sort of uh, instrument dot AI create your own yeah. instrument thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. You know, and because like AI, hold on, I'm going to move this mic briefly because I'm sitting back down. But uh, AI is now going to be able to emulate all the old styles. We don't need new artists to emulate old styles. We need artists to carve a path forward, but they need new uh, tools, right? So guitar, it's extinct. Keyboards extinct. Um, in my opinion, there's just like not new ground to cover there. (laughs) Um, but I think that if there are new instruments that people can interface with, then we will begin to hear, you know, what comes next musically. That's, that's my opinion. You know, I'd like to look at some of the schools where they develop new instruments. And of course, like some of that stuff is a little bit uh, out there, but some of it's very cool. And, um, you know, look at Blue Man Group. That's like they make weird music and it doesn't sound like other stuff. It sounds like them. And sure, like, you know, do I want to listen to 10 hours of Blue Man Group? Eh, not at one sitting, but at the same time, no. it is it is something that they carved out of, you know, the ether. I, I love the Blue Man Group. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, all new instruments. What's the 1900s composer, Charles? Ives. Ives, yeah. He made his own instruments, right? So, um, hell yeah. Uh, the microtonal stuff is is kind of weird to me. I, it's like, you know, it okay. took me a while to hear Miles Davis. Like, I, yeah. like I, when I heard, like, and so just like maybe the microtonal stuff, maybe it's just going to take time to hear it, you know? <laughs> I'm with it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, what What else would you like to talk about or cover? You know, I don't want to make you guys do anything. You don't have to you don't have to talk if you don't want to. I'm pretty I'm pretty anti-lyric in the past two years now, too. Mm-hmm. 
like really I'm really like not into hearing like unless like the lyrics are telling this is what I've discovered about myself in the past like couple couple years uh, those are obviously our bands that I listen to that have lyrics mm. um, so and those bands tend I tend to like just really really like the music and so I suffer the lyrics right um, I like I wish Tool had instrumental albums. Uh, like yes. I wish Tool. I wish Tool released an instrumental version of all their albums, and because like I honestly just don't care what Maynard thinks about the world. Like I just, <laughs> I kind of just don't. And a lot of these, uh, you know, what's up, Cal? Oh, um, he, did he come in? No, he didn't come in. He's just Cal. Cal. Cal's in. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like obviously, and there's like. Some some rap I will still listen to, and that's that's kind of um, that's kind of like you know limited to like one one artist I really like because I think he's very talented at rapping. Or two of them, and then uh, you know it's just like I, it's just a, it's an, also like an unintentional shift. It's not like I'm intending to um, because like I was on that I was on that trip way before uh, I discovered like Polyphia because there's lots of like ambient bands out there mm-hmm. um, that, I, that I enjoy, and then like um you know, uh, producer, like there's like, you know, producers that make albums like Clams Casino and can't think of anymore right now because he's on my mind for some reason. But, um, yeah, that's been my trend for the last, like, the last while. I also don't really listen to female artists. I never really have. To, I don't know why. To female I artists? I think that's like an identification. I, well, I went to Charlotte to see my friend's band play their last show. Uh, and, uh, there were a bunch of female bands and on the ride down, I was like with my, the guy who I taught to play bass because I needed, when I was very young, I needed a bass player. So I taught him how to play bass. So many do. Wow. Yeah. Like this is what you do. Um, and then now he plays an upright in like three bands, you know, it's a fantastic. Nice. Um, yeah, he's like way better than me. <laughs> so, um, we're like driving down and, uh, we're kind of just like, you know, listening to music, shooting the shit. I'm like playing stuff that I've like listened to. Yeah, I listen to currently and um, vice versa. And he like said, like, hey, you might like this band. And I was like, do you have a female singer? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> and, and then like, and something I realized, like with, with few exceptions, like maybe like a handful, I just like don't listen to female singers. I have been I listening like, primarily to female singers over the last year and a half and am preparing to release a Spotify playlist soon. Of uh, just female singers. It's not only female singers. No, no, but it is, I would say, you know, predominantly, uh, 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 Henry's internet's no good. It's predominantly female singers. Um, there's a couple of male singers, you know, popping in. There's a little bit of hip hop stuff. Um, but yeah, mostly modern pop top 40 getting it out of my system, you know? Okay. Okay. I'm really curious to know why you specifically don't like the female singers. Like, is there, is it the, I've been thinking about this for so long. Um, I have, I have like little quirks about me that I think about a lot. I don't understand like why there's another one that's, I don't want to say it on the air, but, um, it's just like, it's not, it's not like a degenerate or anything. It's just like a preference that I have. And it's like very strange and it's just, but it's very, very, it's very true. I uh, like, a, there's like no exceptions to it. And, um, 
I, so I think about that. I think about the, the female singers a lot too. And I don't really know other than I think it's, um, before I picked up guitar to learn how to play guitar, um, I, I would air guitar. Like I would like listen to something on my headphones, like way before I could ever, like I couldn't drive. I saw, I was like home, you know, like bored listening to music. Um, and for some reason my parents would buy me like the cool stuff. Like they bought me like, you know, Nirvana and Nine Inch Nails and, you know, punk rock stuff. Like I was able to, I was able to order like, you know, punk rock stuff. Cause my, my grandmother would take me to borders books and music and I would grab a, a maximum rock and roll, uh, magazine from, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. uh, I would, for some reason I, I was, I, I was very spoiled by my grandmother. Uh, and I, I, she would let me like order like, you know, tapes and stuff. So I had like, uh, for the, like, I had screeching weasel when I was like 15, and the, like nobody like two two people that I went to school with knew who they were, and it's because like either they told me who they were, or I told who them who they were. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, so I would like do a lot of air guitar and like use the TV TV remote control as a microphone. You know that that embarrassing like little young kid cringe shit. Of course. And I think it's just like straight up identification, like. And mm. when I was doing that. I never did it with a female, like, because when I, when I, like music was a very, very true escape. I literally grabbed a remote control and pretended it was a microphone and like the world, the world evaporated. And I was like, whoever I was listening to. And, uh, and because I have penis, I never did that. I never picked up a female artist to do that with. Like, because that's like, that's like, that's like how, when I, and when I couldn't do that, you know, when yeah. I'm like, yeah. when I'm walking home from the bus with my headphones on listening to, uh, you know, bad religion, yeah. uh, I'm not walking home from the bus. I'm like, I'm bad religion. Like I'm, I forget the guitarist's name now, but at the time I knew his name and I'm that guy. And it's, yeah. it's like. I just never, that makes sense. Yeah. That's like why I did it. Like, and, and like, and eventually like, I think it was screeching weasel that made me want to like, actually like learn how to play guitar because it was easy. Like making those songs were easy. Nice. And, uh, yeah. And then, um, and like, uh, yeah, I think that's why. And, and it's never changed really. Cause I think like, I probably, you know, feel that same feeling exists. I think when I listen to like bands, I really enjoy still today. But there are exceptions. I have like, you know, there's no exception. I mean, I, yeah. I love Bjork, even though I don't like the last six albums she's put out. Bjork, Bjork's one thing. of those exceptions, for sure. I'll listen to anything she puts out, at least yeah. once. At least I got exactly every album I listen to. I don't like them, but every album I'm going to listen to because she's, she has something that's just the weirdest, you know, like she's like an oddity. It's just an oddity almost. But, you know, her early, early stuff, like when she was doing the jazz band with her Icelandic, you know, uh, uh, crew. Um, it's like they redid uh, Icelandic, uh, like uh, you know, traditional tunes, and they did it like uh, I don't know, punk rock, um, but also, but like in a, in jazz, it was crazy. It's one of the best albums, the Gling Glow. It's called. I can't really remember the name of the album. Gling Glow, G L I N G, Gling Glow, and it's the craziest shit ever here. Um, and it was when she was like, you know, whatever, eighteen, nineteen, and it was, and it's amazing. <laughs> 
and she does a cover of like Ruby Baby and like all these sort of like jazz. She does like two jazz standards. It's fucking awesome. I think I might. I think I, I probably don't have it, but I think I've been. You know, someone has played it for me. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It sounds familiar. Like, um, it's a, it's like an unofficial thing. No, no. Nineteen ninety. You'll find it on Spotify. Oh, I just looked it up. Nineteen ninety. Clean glow. Oh, but it's it's her. It's on her Spotify. It's it's yeah. It is. It is on okay. her Spotify. Yeah. Um. Very different. Did you guys ever see that um documentary of like the behind the scenes that she did? It's it's from like nineteen ninety eight or something. Um, I'm honestly. You what? She's talking about a TV or something. She's like having like this conversation on like in the kitchen or something about is that what, is that what you're talking about? Um, I don't remember a kitchen scene, uh, but it's like a full blown behind the scenes of uh, one of her albums. It's one of her big albums. I'm I'm honestly not a big Bjork fan. Uh, I mean, I how appreciate the artistry. I appreciate the artistry, but it's not something <laughs> I ever like crave to put on my speakers. Um, but it's actually really interesting for a documentary. Uh, she goes into the behind the scenes on, you know, the actual studio side of making that album. Um, you guys should definitely check it out. I'll see if I can find a link and I'll put it in the chat. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I, and of course, from, from, for me, like, I just think her, all of her engineers and the way that she, they thought about mixing, especially like the vocal album, the all vocal album, like that shit's hard, you know, to make good sounding record with, 99% of it just being the human voice and making it sound full and have like this big, you know, that's uh, Mike uh, from uh, what's, what's the, well, who's the guest singer on that album? Uh, famous punk singer uh, guy, Mike Patton, Mike Patton. Oh, no kidding. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so like he well, did a lot of like the lover. Oh wait, yeah, so right. is Mike Patton's on the punk rock thing that she did? No, uh, vocal album, I think. Probably. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. That's that routine. I think. Yeah, I have a best. friend. I have a friend who like everything Mike Patton does. You have to listen to this right now. <laughs> oh yeah, his, his, he's crazy. He's awesome. Stop what you're doing. Yeah, stop what you're doing. Go listen. To him. Um, <laughs> yeah. let I me did to get into Faith No More. Uh, I had a little Faith No More period uh, two or three years ago where I was playing the hits. It was cool. It was nice to revisit. Mm. Not bad. <laughs> you got a handful of jams. Ma- am- amazing for the time. But... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, actually, I, I think it's. I, I think sorry, wrote down a list of the female exceptions, and I can't. Oh, find. excellent. Let's hear this. But, um, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to have to quickly scroll through my iTunes and <laughs> make, make a note. Well, because, like, right, so Lucinda Williams for country. Lucinda Williams is awesome. Her first two albums are incredible. Kelsey um, Chambers. I don't really know Kelsey Chambers. She wrote, uh, you'll be the cap, you'll be the captain. Hmm. She's Australian. Um, actually, you gotta love some of the classics, like, you know, like Jefferson airplane, like maybe is a good one. No, no. No. None of them. All right. Hang on. Wait, wait, Lita Ford. (laughs) Like, like when I was a deadhead, when I was a major hippie, like, uh, like I had, like when I had a hemp anklet, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've never heard when this I, anecdote before. This is the when first I had time. A, when I had a braided hemp anklet. That's fantastic. And fucking stinky balls. Um, I would listen to the Grateful Dead, and when I would mistakenly put on a show from the Donna era, and I would hear her voice, I would go, "Shut up, Donna!" And I would take the tape out because it was a tape. And I would 
choose any other fucking that didn't have Donna on it. Like it's real. There's there's some there's some things like uh, you know Stevie Nicks. No, a lot of stuff my mom made me listen to uh, when I was young. Uh, no, Annie Lennox. No, Rumors is a great record. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Undisputably wow. great record. Good for her. This is. I can't stand. No, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> no, to each their own. But so yeah, for me, music's always been a mood more than you know the fantasy of like being that thing. I guess it sounds like that's kind of how you use it. Yeah, a little bit of both. So. My earliest experiences with music are definitely like rocking out in the garage uh, to like a tape and like you know air guitaring along to it and like singing it and like you're that band or that artist or whatever for sure and then yeah, you get the guitar sure. and you're playing along with those things and you're like man i wish i could do the things that they're doing but here i am i can get through like 75 percent of the song you know hit the solo and it's like oh i'm playing rhythm <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's how it goes someone's gotta play rhythm somebody's gotta play the rhythm yeah somebody's gotta actually Literally nobody plays rhythm. Nobody plays rhythm. It's all lead. Even the drummers playing Amazing. lead drums. That's the problem with drums. That's why I was always so scared. I was like, "Wait a second, man! I got no back. There's no way to back myself up." It's so. <laughs> That's why I like the drums, though, is because I don't trust anyone else to keep it going. Oh, 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 oh. Two sides of the same coin. We the, 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 oh, yeah. I'm like, no, I, I don't trust y'all. <laughs> yeah. Drums like, are fine as long as you're, Drums are fine as long as you're quiet when other people are talking. Like, you know, like, if you're tapping while the people are talking, like, well, I don't sure, know. That's sure. that's a weird statement because for me, like, there was this one time I don't know a couple years back, a couple years, ten years back, I was way too stoned at a gig and I was too quiet. I was playing so quiet that I could hear the audience members were clapping and they were clapping louder than my snare drum. And it was like, didn't happen. No, didn't happen. I mean like I mean like when you're in a band, <laughs> yes, and the song's over and you got to talk and the drummer's like hitting snare. Like doing like little mini beats, and you're like trying to talk to like the other guy. Numbers just like yeah. symbols. You're doing that shit on like shut the fuck any, up. That is any annoying musician though, man. Every, I got it's every drummer. So many yeah. no, bass player. I got stories about bass players. No way. It's any any musician that just is annoying and gets the gigs late and just fucks around. Yeah. Oh, not late, but like ripping riffs in between songs while somebody's tuning just to like. You know, oh yeah, it's the same. It's the same guy that was late to the the set. Don't no, worry. that wasn't me. I was doing the, I was doing the riffs, but I wasn't late. I was there first. You earned those riffs by being there early. There you go. Yeah. Um, introducing the next song by spoiling it. Um, let's think here. So, uh, you know, I was hoping was hoping maybe Billy would be able to pop in, but I don't know. Uh, any any other things? You know, we've been going for like almost an hour. Not quite an hour, but close to one. So, uh, you know, closing ideas, sentiments, things you didn't say, but you felt uh, you really needed to say. Anything like mm, that. I'll, I'll, wait, I'll, go, I'll go first. I shouldn't have said a girl singers are annoying because that's, that's just in, in politically incorrect these days. So um, girl singers are awesome. And I'll tell a quick anecdote. I'll tell a quick story to make up for that blunder. Um, so my aunt technically not by blood but i grew up with her my whole life uh stevie snow who was a she had a one-hit wonder in the 70s um and before she passed i was in the studio making music with her um 
And it was really amazing to work with someone who, Ramon, all the great engineers on Earth, like kind of worked with her. She was famously bad to work with, very difficult to work with, by the way. But um, she was my aunt, so she was awesome. <laughs> and I was just in the studio with her for a couple of months, and she passed when we were sort of like getting, I don't know, one or two tracks getting close to maybe having some ideas, some stuff on it. Um, so it was really amazing to have that moment in time. Uh, I feel kind of real lucky. Yeah, that is special to be honest with you. Like, even if it wasn't, you know, a a blood relative, you know, being able to work with family creatively and document those things is, is yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it my turn? It's, you know, anybody, you know, feel free. Uh, Yeah. I got something to say. I got something. James Maynard is cringe as fuck now. Um, You're paying attention to him? I hate his band, Pussy Fur. Uh, you're, not a cow- you're not a cowboy. He's you're a, not a cowboy. He's out on the land. Um, There's uh, wine. He's making wine. I mean, the interviews, the cowboy. Um, I just, I've had enough. What's he talking about? I don't know. The best album was Lateralis, and after that, everything went to crap. 100 percent true. Lateralis is the most complete vision. It's their black album for sure, but the best album is Anima. Is what? <clears throat> Anima, the one before it. Yeah, no, hundred percent close. Not true. But close, hundred percent true. But close. The moments <laughs> are bigger. No, well, okay. Awesome. No, there are some. Awesome. Yeah, there's some good stuff there's on there. There's some fucking I, look, moments, man. I, yeah. They're, they're like, way more dynamic on Anima. It's their second best album for sure. Uh, undisputably. <laughs> undisputably. Um, not, the, where it gets gritty is, do you start putting Undertow above... I don't say, like that album at all. 10,000 Days or uh, uh, Fear Inoculum. No, for me, it actually literally goes Lateralis, Enema, uh, <laughs> 10,000, Fear, yeah. um, and then Opiate. No, actually, hold on. Let me go. Ooh. Opiate's probably like a third. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Lateralis, um, Enema, Opiate, um, 10,000, Fear. I, but I like. I really like Fear. It's a good I'm going to go ahead record. and say Fear is a better record than 10,000. You might, and you might be right. Yeah. Undertow, Undertow, I, I never, I never listened to it. Let's dive into some of the points it's, you made earlier about It's not even in my iTunes. Uh, and how instrumental fear is because it is, it is a symphony that they let him like sing it. on. Yeah. I like it. I wish he wasn't on it. Um, <laughs> and then the other th- that's, that's a barely too much. Um, <laughs> my next thing I want to say real quick is October uh, 28th. Uh, the album, remember that you will die drops. What? Who is that? Get ready. That's Polyphia's next album. Oh, tight. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to be main. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a big Tool fan. I like Polyphia. Uh, am I excited about what is happening in music? Not really. You know, like, I haven't even done the I'm excited about Mars instrumental. I mean, I'm excited about instrumental music being successful. It, well, you know. And I think so. Here's the thing. Do you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? 
And of course. What is the what? What happens in that movie? There is a be band. excellent, be excellent to each other. There's a band called Wild Stallions. Yeah, what was that? And they bring the world that? together. Yeah. In peace. Is that your goal? They're an instrumental guitar band. All right. Uh, October twenty eighth. Remember that you will die. <laughs> Wild Stallions. Uh, that's fantastic. As long as, like, I want like <laughs> I want an instrumental guitar driven band. To like hit number one on like whatever the fuck. All right, we're all going out and buying Polyphia on 10, 28, I got all of you because I pre ordered four signed copies. Oh, I pre ordered four. This is perfect. I pre ordered four of every version of their, wow. of their CD. This is perfect. That's impressive. Because I would love to listen. No, I'd love to well, listen. If you to have them, not but. listened to Polyphia, you absolutely must. Yeah. I, yeah. I have not. Yeah. I feel foolish. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Polyphia. They're a band like Tool where it's like if you play or dig music production, uh, you should at least give it a once. Okay. okay. Speaking of uh, which, here, Batril or uh, yeah. uh, Evil Baresi. Because Batril's had two Tool records and Baresi's had two Tool records. Oh, but then the producers the Yeah, Massey, the 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 engineer and Batrillian the producer. But Massey did the. No, I'm not talking Massey. I'm talking about Baresi. He's done the last two records. Oh. oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Batrill did Anima who, who, and Lateralis. Who did Lateralis? Bat- and that's right. Batrill. Right. Yep. Yeah, he wins. What's yeah. That? Yeah. For, yeah. I, of course, he wins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's my pick yeah. too, but. No, that that album sounds just God. It's just like God comes down and blesses us with a drum sound. It's but let me tell you, let me tell you, I went to the Tool Music Clinic. Okay. Do you? I mean, do you, are you familiar with what that is? I am. No. No. So they, I, Adam, the not instrumentalists okay. hung out and played the songs and talked and no manners. Oh, cool. So it was wow. Yeah, amazing. like you go, you go with like less than a hundred people. I want to mm. say it's like fifty to seventy. I feel like where I, when I did it, it was like closer to like sixty, fifty. It was very um, intimate. Yeah, there's no stage. They're on the floor with you. And uh, Maynard's not there. Which um, is great. <laughs> yes. You don't have to deal with his weird bullshit. Um, and so, which again, when I was a kid, Maynard was the attraction to Tool for me. So, just, you know, let's go figure. Um, but uh, it's really cool because, like, you get to talk to them about, you get to ba- basically have a Q&A. They play a bunch of songs. Uh, then, like they played the in, that, then in progress opiate video that was they were redoing. Whoa! Um, and then the best part is they actually went and sat in the seats with the crowd. So, like, I'm sitting on I'm I'm sitting crowd. on a leather couch. Yeah, they watched their own video with the with the crowd, which mm-hmm. again was like 50 people. So, you walk into like a bar, then you go around the corner, and there's like. 50 chairs and like five leather couches spread out in like symmetrical pattern or whatever, all facing like a band on the floor. And, uh, luckily enough, I got a leather couch. So I got to eat like a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich while like tools playing like, I don't know, parabola <laughs> with no, with no Maynard, um, with my buddy. And then, uh, you have to go up and walk around and see their sets and stuff. That's like, cool. uh, or, well, yeah, you have to look at their gear and stuff, but there was, Obviously, no pictures because they made you put your phone in like Ooh, a case. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Worth it though. Like it was also very expensive. I I, I want yeah, to say it was, it was like five five hundred dollars. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was pretty expensive. I was like, you know, do I like, um, do I want Oh, and then you, you got to hang out with them at the bar for like an hour afterwards, but we didn't do that. Oh, well, that, I think that was what people were really paying the money for is what it probably I'm guessing. I like going up to celebrities and going, who are you? <laughs> what do I, what do I, what what do do I you? know you from <laughs> after you yeah, paid just, all that money to go to the event? I just do, I just do stuttering John. It, whenever I meet someone halfway famous, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, you know, Josh, any anecdotes, closing thoughts, sentiments? Uh, not a whole lot as far as closing remarks go, but this has been fun. Been what, what do you mean? When you said you, uh, what, what did you mean when you said you're trying to find your album a home? Um, I am trying to find a label to release it on. Okay. You hear that now? Yeah. We need a label for this record. What? And it's, and it's ambient stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's electronic ambient. Um, and I have like a, it's kind of like a sci-fi, uh, concept attached to it. It's supposed to be like the sound of your thoughts. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, it's ambient. It's about 45 minutes long and probably if I don't find a home for it, I'll probably just self-release it. Like I've done all the others, but, um, yeah, that's what's new in my world. You're looking for, like you're looking for like a label, Ideally, yeah. More than anything, I want to release it on a cassette or a CD or something, and I don't have the money to do it. So I'm trying to find someone who would be interested in partnering and distributing. Uh, uh, again, not to overshield the band, but their album is coming out in a couple of days. I've been waiting for a while. Uh, Which band? Oh, sorry, what? What band? Oh, Polyphia, Polyphia again. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. Same band. Same band. Oh, cool. there's only one band. Um, <laughs> they uh they did a cassette they did a cassette release of their of their album like a 1000 limited edition cassette release did That's you buy fun. four copies i did not buy any copies of that signed copies. and given to us i don't have a cassette player you don't need a cassette um, player to collect cassettes no I, but like I the reason i bought the reason player. i bought four copies of like every cd version is because i'm going to give them to people That's awesome. So I have a cassette player in my 1995 Geo Prism that's still in nice. pristine condition with 45,000 miles on it. Wow. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, it was given to a client. So my day job's finance stuff. And a client 15 years ago was like, I have a car in a garage. Just take it. I'm like, what? Just take it. She gave it to me. And it was like, it had 30,000 miles on it covered in a New York City garage. It's from 1995. It's about to go historic from insurance purposes so it's going to cost me like 10 bucks a year to keep it which is nice nice yeah that's great that's cool that's yeah cool. man but it's got a tape deck in it so send me some tapes send me some tapes I'm going to send you a, a CD to tape converter there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well hey Adam Josh, Brian, thank you for joining me today on Party Line Chat. It has been a pleasure. We do appreciate your time here today. And uh, make sure you pick up your seats and remove everything from the overhead compartments. Talk to you next time.